What is up, guys, and welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. Today, we're excited to have a very special guest. He is here from Miami, and he is a tremendous leader in the real estate space. Like I like to say, a real estate revolutionary. As you can see on his page, he is transforming the game. President of Black Line, 500 million plus in real estate deals by the age of 31. This guy is dominating. Robert Rivani. Welcome. We're glad to have Thank you on. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate the love. How are you guys? Anytime, but we're doing great, man. We're doing great. Definitely excited to talk to you and really learn more about, first of all, how you even got started into your space and then really blew up to what you've created for yourself today. I think it's really interesting. For sure. Yeah. As I'm, as I'm sure you've read or seen on some of the YouTube videos, I started out as a sneaker junkie. Um, I just try to figure out my way throughout high school, try to make an extra buck or two. And um, sneakers was my passion. I love Michael Jordan, like most guys did growing up in the early 90s and late 90s. And I made a, I made a business and a hustle out of it. So it was something that was, you know, super exciting for me because I wanted to, to dress the part and have the clothes and the gear. But I saw, you know, an opportunity to make a couple hundred bucks a shoe. And, um, you know, I, at that time, a couple hundred dollars was a long way. And if you do it 10, 15 times, 20 times a month, you know, creating a business, making four to six, seven thousand dollars a month was exciting so to make a really long story short i'll you know camp out at night would hire people to camp out with me would buy would collect shoes on the weekends and then would sell them on ebay or you know different websites craigslist and whatnot um to a point where I, like i said i was making 10 plus grand a month and um for a few years and it got to a point where I just had a really big following and everyone was excited to see what i'm selling next that one guy's like look i want to buy your entire collection because i was one of those kids at the time that just stacked up the shoes in the house and put them all the way to the top. And I would have them all organized the way I wanted. And one guy's like, I want to just buy a whole collection. And he stroked me a check for like $150,000. And that was the, the end of the, the shoe game. Um, so it was, it was, it was awesome. It was so much fun. Greatest memories of my life, but I didn't think uh, selling Jordan shoes uh, would be my future. Um, and that's what kind of led me into my real estate career. Oh, and what was the first real estate deal you ever did or how did you get introduced to real estate? Yeah. So how I got introduced was, um, property management, um, you know, making the, the fees off of managing other people's properties, um, in, in the 2000 range. Um, the, the problem that I saw with property management, even though it was great and it was probably the most valuable learning experience, cause you learn from the bottom, you learn from, you know, accounting and, and tenant complaints and how to handle them that I got my basis from there. So that way, when it came to me owning or buying my own property, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into versus, you know, reading books or webinars or stuff like that. Um, at that time, social media wasn't as big of a deal where now you have people selling courses and all that. So I didn't have that luxury back then. Um, so property management was awesome. Gave me a lot of my, my teaching and my tools, but what I would see is some of these, you know, developers that would buy these properties and they'd be making half a million dollars or a million dollars a deal. And I'm sitting here collecting a 3% check on the gross income. It's like, Think of the wrong business and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with property management, but if you want to be a multimillionaire, you're not going to be doing collecting 3% of someone else's income. Um, so this was right around the time of 2010, 2009 range where, you know, obviously the great recession happened. Everyone was like real estate, you need to stop. Oh my God, uh, everyone's going BK. And um, I started going on LoopNet, uh, CoStar, those websites. And you start seeing these like foreclosure deals where like the bank's like, we're giving them away. Just, just take them from us. We don't care what it is. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm this young kid. I don't have enough capital. Got a couple hundred grand, raised some money from friends and family. And I bought a deal in Atlanta was my first one that was, you know, my barometer for what a good deal was, was what it was worth pre-recession. Uh, great recession. And the deal had traded for like 2.3 million. I had the opportunity to pick it up for like 600 grand. 
Um, and I could pick it up for, you know, 75% off and the bank would finance me for 75% of my purchase. So I only needed 150 grand. So in the back of my mind, being the, the, the shoe guy, sneaker junkie, I wasn't like, well, let me think about this. I could put 150 grand up. If I take it back, even if it takes me three, four or five years, whatever it takes, I can make 1.5 million. Where can I 10 X my money in that time span and do something that was fairly easy because I just had to lease up spaces. And for me, hustling came like second nature. I would go knock on people's doors and be like, oh, I have empty spaces for these. Are you interested? And I'll just keep pounding the pavement until I finally found a tenant. And I actually filled up the space the first like six months. And I flipped that property within a couple of years for like 2.2 million. So I got to the target that I wanted to. Um, and then the rest was history. I mean, making a million and a half dollars when you're young 20s, it's like every other business or idea or college education just like disappeared. And I was like, okay, time to get into real estate development. And the, and the rest was history from there. So where do you see, because you've been in the game for a while, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the current market, uh, interest rates are going up, a lot of fears of what's going to happen tomorrow. And since you've been through the recession, you've seen what's happened in the marketplace, where do you see, I guess, what in your opinion, where do you see like the next deals or the best deals coming up in the marketplace? It's a great question. Um, you know, I never get fearful over interest rates, actually, uh, or interest rate rises or certain kind of global headwinds or local um, micro and macroeconomic uh, headwinds. And the reason being is you want volatility in the market. If everyone's making money and everyone's happy and hunky dory, then where's your opportunity going to come from, right? Like for a first time investor, if they were to come to me and say, well, I want to invest in Miami, it's hot. And I say to them, it's like, well, you and everybody else, if everybody else is trying to chase the same thing, then the opportunity is not going to be there. Go to the markets that have not been able to rebound as well from COVID. Like, you know, New York's going to be hot because there's a lot of money there. Miami, LA, it's always going to be hot, but markets like Chicago that got hit a little bit, the Midwest, Milwaukee, those are the markets that I first bought into Atlanta. I didn't go to the primary markets from the start because you have a lot of competition. So I'd rather be a little bit bigger of a fish in a smaller pond than just be a small fish where everybody's trying to compete. Um, but again, for me being the value add developer that I am volatility in the markets, a positive for me, I bought more deals. I think we closed between when COVID started to COVID ended about 260 million in deals uh, while everybody else was fearful. So for me, I, I like volatility. It works to my benefit, to be honest. Robert, let me ask you, cause you also said, you know, you started in, in other markets besides, you know, just being starting here. You know, you also get advice from other people. Oh, start start where you live or start where you know best. You know, you did the opposite. You started somewhere else, right? You you live right. here in Miami. You started in other markets. How do you sure. how do you go about that? Or how do you give that advice to, to other people who might have been hearing the other advice? Like, what's what's the roadmap for that? Yeah, so I would say, look, location to me is important in the sense that um, you need to understand the market that you're in. Um, this is something that's talked about all the time about like what you mentioned, buy a property that you could see a touch of feeling and it's in your, in your neighborhood, in your backyard. Right. The problem I had was my backyard was West Los Angeles. You've got every single millionaire and their mother. That's a real estate developer here or wants to buy and flip deals. So that didn't really leave much an opportunity for me. But what I learned, you know, at a young age is no matter whether you're in, you know, Wisconsin or Georgia or any, any city or state in, in the United States, 
People need to eat, people need to shop, people need gas, people need convenience. They, they still need the same thing. So whether you're on a busy road in West Hollywood or you're on a busy road in Milwaukee, the fundamentals of real estate are still the same. You still need to make sure your demographics are there. You have population growth, your, your, your CBD, your uh, cars per day in an intersection are strong. That way businesses can benefit off that. So once I got my feet wet and understood what a local market needed for a shopping center, um, to be successful that I kind of just played that off in every single market. So I own properties in 16 States. At one point, I just bought a $50 million deal and I probably shouldn't be admitting this. I didn't even go to the property. Uh, that was in New Jersey. I didn't even step foot on it prior to buying it because between Google earth drone images, understanding tenancies, seeing gross sales of tenants, you kind of get a general understanding tenant interviews of what that product or projects like and what value I need to bring into the, this particular property in order for it to appreciate in value. And that's pretty much, I don't want to say always the same thing, but typically has the same base fundamentals that regardless of the location uh, that still need to be incorporated. I love that. And, and there, there's something there that you sparked an idea. So let's say somebody's going to go new into the commercial space and they want to buy, um, what is this, a shopping center. What mm -hmm. it would be, I guess, and maybe in an overall philosophy for investing, when you're going after commercial space, are you looking for uh, like a value add, like a place that's not doing so well, underperforming? Are you looking for something that has already strong uh, anchor tenants? Are you looking for class A construction? Like what is like the framework that you're working off of? Yeah. So for me, um, at least in the beginning of my career, which is now kind of splintered into two different, so now three different um, aspects. Originally was, I want to try to find up the property that has the most amount of upside and the most amount of upside typically comes when the, the property's beat up, needs a remodel, doesn't have tenants in there. So that way you can create that cash flow. So when you sell it, an investor will buy a cash flow operating property. It's not like a single tenant home that someone, you can just fix it up and then you can just sell it based upon comps in the area. People typically, when you exit a commercial property, is based upon a cap rate or cash flow exit. So the the, the biggest value for me was you have to find a property where you can create that cash flow, that recurring revenue for someone to buy it from you. Um, so that's that's the number one thing that I would focus on. But more importantly, you know, for any person that wants to, to, to go into real estate from the get-go is knowledge, man. Like that's the most important thing because there's so many times where people think that just because I did residential, I can automatically jump into commercial and you can't. It's They're similar, but they're two completely different worlds. Like typically a buyer for a residential unit is not going to get a phase one and be worried that a gas station had, you know, contamination leaking from across the street that affected the soil of this property. Property. That's just not something you think of. So, um, you know, when I talk to a lot of first time people buying stuff and wanting to get into commercial, I'm like, don't just look at the returns. Don't get excited that you saw something on the real deal or someone hyped um, their returns and the profit that they made, but actually go and learn the fundamentals or what the differences are between the two. So that way, when you buy something, you're not stepping into a monumental mistake because you just didn't know what you didn't know. 100%. And I think that especially people who are looking to transition from residential to commercial, it's a, it's a shock because everything's so cookie cutter in the residential side. It's pretty simple, straightforward. In commercial, there's a lot of things that go into play. Like you said, demographics. So much complexities. It's crazy it's what a difference it is. Even zoning, regulation, um, you know, all those things play into your investment that, yeah, they might they might look good today, but tomorrow you didn't know this regulation was passing, uh, going to go through the commissioner's or the mayor's office, gets approved, and that's it. Your investment's a flop. Yeah. Or, or like even leases, understanding what the leases you're getting into on a property, then you're inheriting. Like 
you know, some people are like, oh, well, these tenants are all paying their great cash flow, but what if a tenant has caps on CAMS or Prop 13 protection or they limit their, you know, reimbursements to landlord? That affects your income. That affects your NOI. That affects your sale. And cap rate, when you try to explain cap rate to people, it's like gibberish when it comes to residential. Like cap rate, isn't it a comp per square foot of the neighboring properties? It's like, no, if I have a single tenant McDonald's credit versus four mom and pops, the cap rate's significantly different, even though the properties are directly adjacent to each other. So yeah, that has a lot more complexity for sure. So one who only knows residential, where's the best places to start learning commercial? Where are the good resources? What are places that you've gone to or, you know, mentors or resources that you've used to go ahead and, and go learn about that commercial space game? You know, you know, what's crazy that you know, when I first started, cause I was pretty private for a while when it came to social media and I wasn't out there myself, the commercial doesn't really get much attention. You know, I wish I could say, Hey, talk to this person, talk to that person. It's not as highly published and highly vocalized. And, you know, on TV, when they have like selling sunset or all these different shows where residential is the focus that commercial is taking a back burner. And I think the reason for that is just because of the complexity that we mentioned. I, I typically just like to learn off the cuff and I've, I've gained more knowledge I would say from professionals, um, whether that's a broker in a local market, an attorney in a local market to understand local issues, like you mentioned zoning before, because you can't teach that in a general textbook. Like Miami has different zoning regulations in LA versus Wisconsin and FAR requirements. You can't, there's not like a book that you could say, read this and you get it. When it comes to residential, you can kind of within reason understand, you got to swap out plumbing and roof and remodel the exterior and sell it. And these are the comps in the market and it's kind of self-explanatory. Commercial, there's not like a one-stop shop, I could say. I kind of pick and choose. Like you learn a lot of things. Like I made a, a big mistake in a property in California because I just didn't know something that I just didn't know and it ended up costing me almost $2 million. Um, so it's just learning and getting professionals that are, that are more knowledgeable about a situation or a property and bringing them on board before you buy something and get that advice and spend that money up front, that that knowledge is way more valuable to obtain than trying to wing it and learn it on your own. Love that. And and where, where would you say right now is probably the most challenging markets when it comes to commercial? What are some of the markets that you would say are easier to enter when it comes to all that stuff that we mentioned in zoning regulations? Yeah, I'd say the markets right now that I'm seeing that are taking the, the most amount of hurt or the, the not to dog on certain areas were, are the markets that were very restricted during COVID where they weren't allowed to be open certain hours, where the mandates were there for extra periods of time, when businesses had limited hours of operations, like I mentioned, and also, you know, can only do takeout and to go. Those markets, a lot of the small businesses at the end of the day are the ones that suffer. The national guys, they get hurt for sure. We got billions of dollars backing them. It's the small businesses that got affected by it. And when you're buying your smaller, you know, shopping centers or retail properties for the first time, you're probably going to end up buying a, a mom and pop oriented property. You're not going to buy one of these big $50 million power centers like I just did. Um, so when you're playing in that one to $3 million range, you're usually going after the, the local neighborhood strip center, which, you know, if I was to go into markets, the Midwest got hit, you know, pretty badly. A lot of the, the States where you saw the huge outflow of people that came to Miami, that came to Austin, that came to those markets, you would, at least for me and not that I'm, I'm doing it now, but go and look at the areas that had the most outflows, but still have strong fundamental cores that may come back a market like Chicago or the suburbs that you'd say, okay, well it got hit now, but it's still Chicago. It's going to rebound or, Hey, it's still Manhattan. It's going to rebound because it's just such a prominent market that finding out those deals in those areas is probably the best thing uh, to do. 100%. And having the right team is the most important thing to having that success because like you were saying earlier, you don't have that knowledge on all these different locations. And I want to For ask sure. this question. So 
let's say there's someone here who wants to get into real estate and you know they really want to get into it how what would be the, the necessary people on their team that they should have helping them through this process or what do you recommend yeah so the team the team the team the team the team like you said is the most important thing hands down bar none that comes uh to, to redeveloping properties there's just you can't if you're trying to scale like i consider myself a tech company in the sense i'm trying to scale i'm consistently buying more and more i'm consistently trying to get bigger and if i try to do everything myself it's just impossible the first member of my team that i hired was a legal advisor and the reason being is because I, I told myself, okay, well, what are the things that I'm not knowledgeable enough in? Like I, I get property management, I get income and expense. I get you know, how to run a property. If there's a roof repair, what do I not get? I can't draft a lease. I can't learn local zoning. I can't um, draft a purchase and sale contract and negotiate with a bank. Um, I need to have someone review loan docs because I'm personally guaranteeing a loan doc. So the first person I hired was a legal team. Um, was a legal, was a paralegal. And then as the company got bigger, I had, I, right now I have two attorneys on staff with three or four outside legal counsels, depending upon the certain market. Um, so, uh, you need to have your legal team on point. You need to have a property management team. If you don't want to outsource the property management, um, it's hit or miss with property management. Uh, you know, I, I do a, a blended, I do some properties that are easier to manage in house. And then the ones that are like these 300, 400,000 square foot power centers that need somebody there almost every day. We outsource that, especially if it's in an out of state market. Um, and those I'd say that the biggest prongs to the, to the, to the team is, is having your legal team, having your asset management and property management division. Um, I personally love leasing and, and, uh, finding deals and acquisitions and dispositions. So I, I take the, the brunt of that. Um, but I'd say those two things are the first things you should definitely start out with. Tremendous value, tremendous value. And I, and I wanted to go build up upon that. What would you say are the key indicators for you personally that you saw for yourself and for people to look at when they're ready to scale and build a team? Um, what would be those key indicators to tell you, hey, look, it's ready for you to go build your team now. If not, you're not going to be able to scale. Prove that what you're saying you can do in the redevelopment world is, is possible. Like uh, I didn't really start to scale until I got three, four or five deals under my belt. And I was like, okay, I've got this. I, I made my own bread and butter. Like I knew, okay, Robert, your bread and butter is to buy a six to 20,000 square foot shopping center. Um, you kind of know the basics and the fundamentals of what you need. It needs to be a hard corner. Like you build that bread and butter model for yourself, whatever you think you'll excel at. And once you've gotten three, four or five times under your belt and you're confident in it, um, for me, another big key was not to over leverage because even though you could have done good on four or five, if you went and over leverage and bought one big new deal that could end up breaking all the other success that you had. So it was making sure I got those deals under my belt. I'm not, which is a huge you know thing going on right now with Grant Cardone. A lot of these Burr method guys have, you know, buy a property, a cash flow, it refinance, take all your money out, re resell it. I mean, reinvest it. I'm, ag I'm not against it, but I, I don't, I don't, I'm not for it. Um, I don't think that's the right way to invest, especially when you're first um, starting out because every dollar that you have in a property that's just sitting there and getting cash flow versus building equity is a waste of money in my eyes. So for me, that, that business plan worked out a lot better. Um, and I only was able to do that because I was confident in my skills that once a property hit its peak, I can move on to the next and move on to the next and move on to the next. Do you feel that there's an opportunity in the commercial space? Because the past three, well, I don't know about three, but two and a half years, the market has been ridiculous with how much the prices are. A lot of people haven't been really chasing, um, you know, cap. They're looking more for appreciation because a lot of these, especially here in Miami, you'll see a cap rate that used to be seven. Now it's going for like three 
or, you know, there's so many things are going on here. Do you feel that there's going to be a major correction or possibly a correction that could happen in the commercial space because exactly what you're saying, they're doing too much of the Burr method. They're not doing their stress test on their, on their portfolio. And it's like a house of cards at any moment. It's going to fall. Do you feel that that could happen at that at, at this point? Yeah, I think I think what's different about now versus 2008, 2009 is a lot of people have made a lot of money in the past 10 years um, in the sense that a lot of people are sitting on cash. A lot of people are waiting for those value add plays. I think a lot of people have over leveraged, but the bank regulations are significantly tighter now than they were 10 years ago, 12 years ago, pretty much a bank. You'd walk in and say, oh, I want to loan on this commercial property. It's not cash flowing. It's not this, that. Here you go. Here's your money. Versus now banks vet the crap out of you. Even myself, who I've gotten hundreds of millions of dollars in loans at this point, bank vets the crap out of me, out of my deal, makes me have interest reserve accounts, make me have you know money sitting on the side for you know a rainy day. So I think for the, for the sophisticated investors that have been doing this for a while, interest rates are not going to matter much. Um, and, and make them start losing properties and hand them back. And um, to dive more into your question about, do I think it's gonna, is a recession looming? I do, but I think each market um, is different. So would I say a recession's looming in Miami? No, would I say a recession's looming in, uh, in the Midwest? Probably, it's more likely than not, but you have such a concentration now of people my, you know coming to Miami, spending money in Miami, buying new places that, the tech growth, there's just so much going for it that do I see a blip and coming down a little bit? Sure. That's, that's always possible. But do I see a 2009, 2010 situation again? No, I don't see that anytime soon. I agree yeah, with you. I definitely, it. I definitely agree with that statement. Same thing here. You know, it's one of the things we, me and Brian have been talking about for a while. And, and, and I really want to dive into this, this next question I want to ask you because you know, it's something that sticks out first of all, for me coming from the marketing side and, and branding side of things. And, you know, you've created a big personal brand for yourself, uh, but you've also said, you know, for a while you weren't even on social media. So how has that played for you? You know, Robert, yourself, you know, the personality, who you are, how has building a personal brand helped you when it comes to your, your real estate business? Tremendously, to be honest. I mean, whenever, again, and I always, I always preface the point of what exactly your business plan is. Whenever my business plan was buying properties in the Midwest or Wisconsin or uh, Texas or Kansas, wherever it was, having a social media presence, especially again, especially in 2010 and 11, I don't even know what social media platform was that popular. Facebook, I think like That's social it. media wasn't as a, as an important of a thing versus now you can get out such broad and quick messaging via, you know, Instagram or now TikTok that I can put a space up for lease and all the brokers follow my Instagram. Like, Oh, I have a tenant for that. So, you know, there's a property that I just bought the continuum ground floor, uh, one of the most iconic properties in South Beach. Um, I leased the property within, I think, three days of announcing that I bought it. And it's because of all my connections through social media and people knowing, you know, the stuff I'm doing. And, you know, we did the Delilah deal. And it just starts to build, you know, uh, a hype that, you know, if Robert Ravon, your black line's developing something, there's a history that it's going to become sexy and trendy. Therefore, on social media, that ga- that gains attention. Sexy, trendy, social media usually go hand in hand with one another, especially with these, you know, these important, you know, restaurant brands that everyone's going to versus 10 years ago or so. Like I said, it wasn't if I did a local nail salon 
who is ever going to care about that? Or how, what are the odds of me finding a local nail salon in Kansas from my social media in Los Angeles space? It just wasn't viable. But in Miami, where it's so focused on social media and hype and partying and F1 and everyone's, there's always a different event. It plays a much bigger role. But social media, for example, on my power centers in like Tucson or New Jersey, it's not really going to make that big of a difference. It's exciting to put it up there. Sure. But you know, you're, you're, uh, I'm doing a deal with, um, a couple national chain anchors. These guys don't care about social media. They're not on there. They have their brokers and they're all their way. But when you do deals like with Delilah and, and, and some of these hospitality groups, they're, they're paying attention. Um, the hype and the excitement is, is very valuable yeah. when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because I, I see so many people who sometimes just like, especially I've seen in the real estate space and other spaces where they'll kind of disregard social media. They don't even like look, put too much attention to it. They're like, ah, oh, it's nothing. You know, and I'm not saying, of course it serves depending on the market you're in, but you know, I see them, they'll spend so much money and all these other things. And then to try to get leads in this, as you know, leads and like Zillow, for example. And I'm not saying that those things don't work, but I'm like, yeah. man, you can build with those dollars, your own personal brand and put it back on you and really build something strong that can last for a long time. That becomes an injector for you. Um, you know, at least those are my thoughts. When it comes to the personal brand, you know, what are some of the biggest things that you've indoctrinated into your business? Like, what are some, like, the, the things that you would say, hey, this is what is an alignment with my personal brand. This is something I, these are my rules. These are, like, my morals, my values. These are the things I set by and live by every single day when I want to showcase yeah, so, this. So let me answer your question in two parts because I think it's important for, for people to know, especially for myself. Like, if someone was to say to me, Robert, you're buying your first property in Atlanta, am I better off spending $5,000 a month in social media? Or am I better off spending $5,000 a month and going and hiring a local leasing agent that works for me that I can know that they're knocking on every single door in a three-mile radius because those are more likely than not the tenants that are going to come to my property via relocation or they want to sign a new deal. I would say spend the money on that person. Don't spend it on social media. Um, so when it comes to me and my personal brand, when it comes to like Miami deals, for example, um, you know, what, what's led to my success, even though it was a, a bit hard in the beginning was just, excuse my French, be my fucking self. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the most important thing that, you know, only came with age and maturity was for a while I was the, the, the suit and the buttoned up shirt and the, the tie. And I have to act a certain way if not, I'm not accepted and I'm not this, and I can't have a beard. It's not professionals like this old school mentality where uh, a, a small group of REITs owned every single property and you had to live their way or the, die that. That didn't work for me. And that's what I would just tell people is that if you are really good at what you do, if you believe in yourself, be your fucking self. Don't change that for anybody. Continue your brand value and people will appreciate it. I mean, what, what's really important is just don't be disrespectful, be respectful of others. But if you want to be yourself, there's no reason why you can't. And people will appreciate that because a lot of people are shy or scared. And you have, you have, you know, some people that are a little too much out there for my, for my personal taste on social media, but um, being yourself, I think ultimately gets people will really appreciate that and come on board with that. 100%. I think Miami is a place where we bring in and accept everybody. And if, you sure. want, and if you want to party, we accept you even more. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and that, and that's what I look, and that's what I love about Miami. Without getting too much into detail, of what happened with COVID and why I spent so much money there? I think I've spent probably one hundred fifty million dollars in properties there. Was because during COVID, whenever things were tough, uh, the mayor, who actually hosted an event here for him and support, uh, Mayor Suarez, um, they allowed people to be themselves. 
Did COVID suck? Absolutely. It was horrible for all of us. I had COVID myself. It, it was horrible. But if you wanted the ability to survive and, and, and afford to pay for your family and your expenses and continue your business, or you want to come travel or you want to live a normal, somewhat of a normal life, Miami allowed for that versus other markets and cities, they locked you in your house and you weren't allowed to do anything and you're a prisoner. And I think that's what led to Miami's success. And that's why um, I spent so much money and was such an advocate and continue to be an advocate for the market because of that exact saying that just be yourself no matter what um, within reason and, and the city will support you. Do you think Miami is entering into, I guess, another echelon in, in, in the United States, like another level? Because I think Miami hasn't even gone there yet. I think Miami is the future of the United States of America without, without a shred of doubt. The, the only thing that worries me about Miami is just not enough land. That, I think that's the biggest problem it's going to run into. It's just not enough. Like I'm trying, I've been trying to buy them. I just bought a condo, but um, in, in Miami beach, it's just home prices. You're looking at $4,000 a foot now because you know, if you're in Venetian or Palm or Hibiscus or Star Island, there's just so many homes, you just don't have enough. So it's going to force people to grow North and West and South because there's just not enough availability. So, um, but you're seeing markets like Wynwood, for example, on fire, you're seeing Alapada, you're seeing all these new markets start to rise that once upon a time weren't as focused on. Um, and it's just continuing. I mean, look at Brickle. When I first bought in Brickle, Brickle didn't have any high rise. I mean, I had a few high rises, but after city center went up every freaking week, you're hearing about another high rise and another building and another like, okay, guys, come. So I, for me, I always, I call Miami. The future is the, is the next Manhattan. It's becoming Manhattan. Brickle's becoming Manhattan. And it's having that synergy and you're having, you know, restaurant tours. Like my Katsuya project, we signed a new tenant that's going to be announced the next couple of weeks that people are going to be astounded by and excited, but you're seeing, you know, all these different restaurants that are coming in and what people don't appreciate about restaurants enough and why I got into the businesses, at least for me being the, the younger guy that I am, if I go travel somewhere, I want to go somewhere that has sexy restaurants in a buy. If you go somewhere that doesn't have that, what are you going for? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, for the younger generation, it's always, do they have good nightclubs? Do they have a good party scene? Do they have a good vibe? And Miami provides all that and a beach and no state income tax. How do you beat that? That's true. You and once upon a time, rent was cheap. I mean, rent was cheap. Like you got remember in Brickle, you get a one bedroom, two bedroom for like two grand, twenty five hundred. Those days are gone now. But um, you can't beat that anywhere. It's just not possible. At least I don't. I don't see it. I don't. I don't see anyone beating a beach, no taxes, and a great nightlife. Now, Robert, when it comes to you know, I think it's something that I've I've heard come up a few times, especially when when you're dealing with a lot of people coming up over here. What do you think is going to happen with the whole transportation system? You think that's going to scare some people away? You think that's going to actually get solved? You think it's going to hold you know things back in the growth of the city, or do you think it's just going to be one of these things where it's just it's going to figure itself out as it goes? Uh, I hate to say it, but look at Manhattan. They've got all the transportation. It, it's still tough. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see Miami versus once upon a time, Miami was like, okay, well, I can get one side to the town to the other in 20 minutes. And that's exciting to a lot more centralized of a market. Like if you're in Brickell, unless you're going for a special occasion, you're probably not going to leave Brickell. If you're in Wynwood, you're going to be in Wynwood. If you're in South Beach, you're not going to want to go over the bridge. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that where people are just going to like, well, the traffic's too bad. Like when I wrote, when I was there for, I think it was boat week. I was in South of fifth. It took me 65 minutes to get to my hotel in Brooklyn. Like that's in all the years I've been in Miami, 10 years plus now, it would take me 20 minutes, 25 minutes tops. And the problem is like, okay, well, those are boat week. Well, when in Miami is there not a freaking event going on now? <laughs> every true. weekend there's something like, so every weekend there's that traffic. And, um, you know, I think, I think, like I said, it's going to get more centralized where people are just not going to be traveling across the, the, the city as much to go to a different place. And I think that's going to be the, the, the focus, but 
Um, the bright line looks great. I actually went into it. it. looks awesome. It's fantastic. And I think it's going to make Miami more of a market where people will be like, oh, I'm, I'm up North or Orlando. I can come down to Miami for the weekend. So I see Miami just continuing to grow more and more. The transportation, build some roads under the bay, man. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only solution. Or are there, they introduced, uh, what was my broker telling me that they're having those like Uber helicopters that I they're trying to roll that. out in 2027 or 2028 where a helicopter can drop you off in different places. But supposedly there's a place in Orlando. I forget the name of this little city, like above Orlando. I forget the name. It's like, they're trying to make it like a little high, like for like uh, a lot of the youth. Supposedly mm-hmm. they already have like Uber helicopter transportation. Dubai has it. I'm going to Dubai in a couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, do you want to get transported via helicopter? The Uber helicopter and it's just on an app. You press a button and helicopter is ready for you at certain locations. So yeah, it's, 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 look, it's going to have to happen at some point. Miami is a sexy market and there's a lot of nice things going on here. And I agree with that statement that you made because it is a mission to get out anywhere here. And I think with the stadium that they're building, uh, the one that uh, Beckham, David Beckham is going to build, Right, building, yeah. yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an animal just to get out of here, <laughs> go across mm-hmm. the block. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about whenever like the Miami Heat games on, like I'll forget the, about. It. Yeah, the biggest problem I think the big the bigger problem is not so much transportation; it's how you get in and out of Brickle. I mean, think about it. You have one bridge, That's unless true. you're going around the freeway. You got one bridge, and then when that bridge goes up, good night. Like it's it's the most difficult thing in the world um like when i stay at mandarin usually when i come and it's a brickle key and if that bridge is up it will take me to get from mandarin to like the stadium 30 minutes 35 minutes yeah and and rush hour forget about it It just doesn't make sense so it forces me to be like okay i'm just going to stay in brickle the entire time i'm going to go eat at all the restaurants in brickle like forget south beach it's a whole different it's like i always tell my wife do you want to have a beach experience? Because we're always going to be on the beach. Or do you want to have a downtown experience? Choose one. Choose, baby. Choose. Um, yeah. But then you're seeing like new markets like um, Design District popping up and continuing to expand sure. and a lot of people going there. So, you know, that's why I bought my condo at the Ritz because it's, you know, I think it's close. It's like 48th, 49th, where if you want to take the bridge across, you can go there quickly. You want to go to South Beach, you can go there quickly. But if you're like south of Fifth neighborhood, it's tough versus if you're all the way in Brickle, it's tough. So centrally locating yourself, is, I think it's probably the best and most convenient way to get through to get through stuff. And let me tell you something. I went to Florida City the other day and mm-hmm. right next to the hood, brand new um townhouses townhouses going for over 400 in Florida wow. City, which was insane. Which I was wow. like I was like what's going to happen to all the people over here? Cuz all those people left, a lot of them left Wynwood when and went to Florida City. A lot of people I left too from the Grove and I've gone to Florida City. I'm just wondering, I'm like, man, I was like it's just all Miami. It's like everywhere. But that's growth, right? It, that's unfortunately, as, as sad yeah. as it is to say, developers, the only way they can develop and actually make these, because at least from what I understand from friends, that the, the margins when you're building these high rises or these apartments, they're not great. They're just purely based on volume. You have to do a big enough of a development for it to make sense. And the only way to do that is going in markets that are heavily depressed. Like Wynwood, once upon a time was for good or for bad was, was heavily depressed. It was homeless is everywhere. They just, it wasn't a great market. So you can go into those markets, buy dirt for pennies on the dollar. And then that allows you to go and redevelop these big high rises. That's why you typically don't see, you know, a brand new apartment building in South of fifth neighborhood because the land's too expensive, or you're not going to build like an eight story apartment complex in Brickell. You either have to go a hundred stories or it just doesn't make sense. 
And that's the problem as, as, as these markets continue to heat up that developers with the appetite to continue to build in, you know, high growth residential areas are going to find that next market, Little River, Alapata, they're going to continue going north and, and continue to search that spot or go south towards South Miami or the Gables. So uh, Coconut Grove, like you mentioned. So that that is what's going to lead to, you know, some of those markets that things were, were once upon a time more cost effective to being exponentially more expensive. And, you know, hitting on that, hitting that on its head, when you talk to first time buyers, it's like, okay, well, if you know growth is gonna go somewhere, usually retail always follows residential. That's always my my suggestion to people. Never think retail is gonna lead residential. It's always the opposite. When the apartments go up, when the homes go up, those people need to eat shop um, in, the, in the local trade area. So when you're saying like, when I bought my Wynwood deal, I looked around and I'm like, there's a high rise going up almost on every single block. These people need to eat, they need to shop, they need to party. I'm right in the middle of it. How can I go wrong? So that's that's super important too when it comes to first time buying is follow the the residential and the and the, the housing growth and boom. Not oh I like this. It's a great property in a great area, but you know people are leaving or whatnot and, that, and paying attention to that. When you brought up that you like working with restaurants and bringing them to your into your buildings and and partnering with them, what type of restaurants do you like to work with or have you worked with anyone specifically that you're like wow I really like this a lot. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I can't name a couple of the brands, but I'm bringing probably three of the top ten brands in the country to Miami over the next um, six months to a year, and that's not to say that I only deal with big brands because in Wynwood I have you know brands that are smaller in location, but they're they're bigger in terms of location units, like Salty Donut. It's an absolute staple in the Miami market, and um, you know, great owner, great guy. And he's super vital to the property because it's a, he practically has a cult following or Ura Pokey, even though they're not one of these big 8,000 square foot, you know, tenants or local operators that the community backs and supports. And, you know, the, the, the roadmap to success for any property is whenever you have the, the fundamentals of synergy. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm going out with my wife and I want to, I want to go grab a, a pokey, am I going to go look at that shop next door and may, and you know buy a cologne at one of my tenants that sells cologne there? Or am I going to go for a deserted salty donut? For sure. I'm going to, um, even if it's not the first time, maybe it's the second time. So bringing in, I think what's more important to say about this is bringing in the right tenants that provide the right synergy with one another. Don't be the greedy landlord. That's like, Oh, I have a pokey concept, but then I'm also going to bring, um, another concept that sells pokey so they can compete. And then whoever wins wins, but at least I get my rent. Absolutely not. It should be the opposite. It should be like, what tenant mix can I bring together where these ben- where these businesses will benefit off one another's customers? Because if your property is the one that's popping all the time, that's busy, that has customers in, next time you have that vacancy, someone's going to be like, oh, I got to be there. I want to I wanna be in this energy and that vibe. And at Winwood Jungle, we're practically, yeah, we leased up 100% in six months um, because we did a brand new rooftop nightclub out of, out of LA. People are like, oh, it's going to be 10,000 square feet. It's going to be one of the first nightclubs in Winwood. And then everybody, it was a domino effect just following through. And then Salty Donut came on board. Oh, shit, I wasn't even supposed to say what they're doing, but I might as well. Uh, Salty Donut's expanding four times. They're going from 800 or 900 square feet to almost 4,000 square feet, and they're making it their flagship in Miami. Um, yeah, so super exciting. And it's like they, they came on the vision. And why they came on the vision outside of me just having a pretty face and a mohawk was I spent money. You know, I didn't, I didn't ask my tenants to say, hey, look, come on board to this property without me showing proof that I'm dedicated to this project. I spent almost half a million dollars on florals for a new design. I don't know if you guys saw the Winwood Jungle project. Um, well, I definitely got to check that out now. 
Yeah, check it out. Like we got we got you know artists, different artists coming in and, and doing artwork throughout the staircases, and it's like a big snake that's down the staircase, and it's an Instagram moment where I'm almost getting like 50 people tagging me, 100 people tagging me a week, and it's become a vibe for people to go to. And that's what I meant by synergy and how my business model changed in social media, like you mentioned before, that it's now becoming a spot where people are like, I want to go take a photo. It's a vibe. It's a, it's a, it's a hype to it. So they come there, they go grab a pokey, they grab a donut, they go to my rooftop restaurant and nightclub. And that's creating that ecosystem that goes with the Ravani or the black line brand where it all meshes together versus being one of these landlords, which I don't want to make fun of, you know, some of the people that, well, I'm the fucking landlord paying my rent. This is it. You want to take it or leave it. Those, those days are dead, mm-hmm. especially in these high trendy markets. If you're going to be one of those people that makes the difference between the people that have a bunch of vacancies in Winwood now versus the people like myself who have knocked out of the park and, and, and gotten fully occupied is because we understand what the consumer wants, even though that's not my primary business, that the tenant should be thinking about that. And that, that how do I attract customers to my business? I think about that for them. When I redevelop a project, you say, what is my tenant's customer going to need and try to provide that for them? You know, whether that's outdoor seating, Instagrammable moments throughout the property, you know, uh, patios with, you know, covered umbrellas, you know, just in case you want to be COVID friendly and you want to sit outside and I'm allowing that for people. So like I spent $300,000 without a single tenant asking for it to build outdoor patios for my, for my existing restaurant tenants. So their businesses can do better. Um, so it's things like that, that you learn um, that are super important whenever you try to redevelop projects and, and try to stand, make yourself and the brand stand out versus the other people. All powerful golden nuggets, man. I appreciate you sharing that. And, 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 I wanted to I wanted to ask you, do you see the same level of growth and opportunity for investment, let's say for yourself, going into markets like Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville? Do you feel like these markets have potential, especially since Miami's on the rise? Maybe some people want to flock to some of these other places. Do you think these places have potential for, for more growth? I'd say every single market, you know, one one thing that that's let me use my words carefully. A lot of people get hung up on the fact of does a general market or a general area ready for growth. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about, let's just use the mom and pop or use myself growing up. I didn't really look at a macroeconomic scale of, well, is Florida hot? I would go based upon what are the pro- properties that are available to me. Can I, can I think Miami's hot? Yeah, Miami's on fire. But just because I think a market's hot or it's the future, what if there's no deals for sale? Who cares if the market's hot? It doesn't mean anything. So for me, I'd rather be more laser focused on, you know, what properties are for sale regardless of the market. And is that specific property in that specific sub market ready to take off? Mm. Because you're going to, you're not going to be given the opportunities to invest in the best, the best markets with upside, because why would you, if they're already hot markets, the, the owner or the seller knows what they have. Why would they just hand you upside for free for you to go make money on them? So for me, I kind of take an opposite route. I, I say, look, are there certain markets that I want to focus on? Absolutely. But whenever I go on loop and co-star every single day, like I have for the past you know 15 years, is I just see what properties are available. And then I'll learn those specific local markets to see if they're financially feasible or not versus just saying, I'm gonna handcuff myself to only focusing on Florida because I know Florida is a hot market because every subcategory, like I just learned in the past six months how hot Nashville was. And I had no idea how hot Nashville was and how good they're doing and how many businesses are opening up there or you know South Carolina or Charlotte. So there's always certain markets and certain cities that are growing or doing better or they're on fire. So. Um, I, I, I would suggest and recommend that focus more on what's actually available and what can be purchased and then see if those things are viable to be profitable or not. Wow. I love that. And 
there's no wonder why you're such a success because you're a value-driven person. The fact that you create an ecosystem for your tenants, for all these people to succeed, it, it's interesting because it is true. There's There are a lot of different companies, a lot of these huge um, organizations that they just think for themselves. They really don't care. They're not really looking out for their tenants. And they just purchase mm-hmm. these places and they put whoever in there. And it's kind of like Machiavelli, they, the strongest survive. And right. the way that you're going about it, of creating the environment where it's also you're incorporating, you know, um, Instagramable moments, things to capture people, to create trends. It's a very interesting concept. And I think it's something here that's going to stay for last. And it explains a lot about how you are as an owner and why people want to gravitate towards you and partner up with you for these things. I appreciate that. Thank you. Robert, where, where can people find you as we're wrapping things up? Where can people connect with you, find you? You know, if there are people out there that want to learn more about you, do you have any courses out there that you have teaching people how to do this? Um, plug away, man. I, I wish I did. I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I've been approached by by so many people about Definitely courses. Definitely should, man. Other. I, I know, I know, I know. You know, honestly, for me, I don't want to dog on other people that sell courses and whatnot, but I'm so focused into what I do day in and day out, working 10, 12 hours a day in my craft that um, if I ever got into the coaching world, I want to be focused and actually be able to, you know, create value other than just throwing out a book and then saying, well, read it and try to try to better yourself. So for right now, the, the focus is, is for my company is to become the next multi-billion dollar brand um, and potentially raising money and having people be able to invest with me when it comes to these projects and these, you know, these sexy deals. Um, but to follow, you know, what's going on and getting advice. And I, I try to be more available on Instagram as much as I can. A lot of people just ask me random questions and I try to slip them an advice or something like that it would be on my Instagram, uh, which I'm sure you can, you know, post up here when people see it and, or my TikTok account. Um, but those are the, the, the two main platforms. I mean, look, I, I wish, even though I have the look and the feel, I wish I'm more engaged and active on social media all the time, but like I said, I'm traveling so much for work and so involved in these projects. So that takes up the majority of, of my time. But uh, coaching will come soon. Will definitely come soon. We'll be looking for yeah, it. We'll be looking for that. So for where, sure. where can people find yeah. you? Where can they connect? And, you know, um, what would you say is the easiest place as far as like what's the usernames? Uh, Instagram. It's uh, Robert underscore uh, Ravani. And my TikTok. I will get back to you on that. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not the expert at TikTok. I, I focus more on my time on uh, on Instagram for the most part, but uh, Instagram would be the best place um, to get a hold of me for sure. You guys heard it, so make sure make sure you connect with Robert on on IG. He will definitely respond. He responded to us, so I know this guy. He drives value all the time. So last piece of question, just to wrap things up on a high note, like I always like to on the podcast. What is the single most biggest piece of advice you can leave off to all our listeners today in one single sentence? One single sentence. One Damn. single sentence. Knowledge is the most valuable thing you can ever obtain. Mm. Amen. Mm. Without keep a doubt. It's yeah, keep getting knowledgeable. Yeah, look, I, I've seen so many people just not knowing what they're doing just because especially with social media right now. Like I really want to press this to everybody because you see it's natural human instinct to see the success of other people. And you're like, oh, why not me? Like this kid, like you don't even know if it's true or not half the time. Someone just says, Oh, I bought this, I sold this, I made this much money, but you don't know the reality of it. That just don't buy into that bullshit. You know, uh, be 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 strong with who you are, have faith in what it is that you do and keep grinding and hustling. And look, man, I sold shoes once upon a time. I did 250 million deals last year. You just got to keep grinding and hustling. And if anything is going to be worthwhile, it's going to come with blood, sweat, and tears. It's not just going to come overnight. So all these people are like, oh, I made millions and millions of dollars on Bitcoin and that, and there's nothing wrong with it. Look how volatile it is. Look if you bought it at 60,000 a coin, what it is now. So it's just taking things step by step and, and, and believing in yourself going forward. 
powerful statement. Guys, you've heard it from Robert himself. If you got value out of this podcast, if this stuck out to you, and there's one single nugget in here that you can take away and start putting into application, not tomorrow, not the next day, but today, go ahead and do that because action is always greater than the motivation. You have to get take you have to take that action on that nugget that you just got and put it to work. Robert, thank you so much again. Guys, if you got value out of this, like, subscribe, comment, share, because the more love you show us, the more love we can show back. Till next time on the Sweat It Out podcast. The recording has stopped.